Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Sin Bin Podcast. I'm Joe Trentley from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He is Mitch Bannon from Toronto, Ontario. And it's been a little bit of a break. Uh, this is our first video segment of this podcast. Uh, we did a little bit of it about a year ago when we were up at Syracuse. Uh, but now we're getting back into the swing of things. Uh, excited to be here, Mitch. Yeah, excited for uh, the first and last episode of 2020 and then on to 2021. <laughs> I guess you could say that. Uh, so we have a bunch of topics for you guys here today, uh, including college football, the uh, playoffs now just revealed uh, on Sunday, and then some NFL news, obviously updates we have for you. A lot going on in the heading into the last two weeks of the season. Playoffs are on the line, and the NFL's number one draft pick also on the line. Uh, and we have a little bit of NBA news as the NBA season opened up last night with two games and the second slate of games coming today. And we even have a special guest speaker talking about his Jets and losing Trevor Lawrence in the draft. But we're going to start off with Sunday's reveal of the college football playoff. The top four seeds were as follows, Alabama at one, Clemson at two, Ohio State at three, and Notre Dame at four. Mitch, was there really any surprise with any of those four teams getting in? No, I, should, I, let me, I don't think so. Let me rephrase that. Is there any surprise with the bottom two? Because everybody knew that the top two, Alabama and Clemson, were obviously locks. Uh, but the bottom two, there was a lot of skepticism and a lot of uh, controversy and discussion about who's going to get those bottom two slots or who's more deserving of it. Yeah, I think every year there's kind of a lot of talk for that fourth spot. And I think this year there was a lot of talk for that fourth spot. And I think probably everyone in the world – except for maybe you and the rest of the Notre Dame fans wanted some maybe fresh meat in that fourth spot. But I don't think you can truly sit down and say the best four teams in college football didn't get into the playoffs this year. I, there's a lot of controversy to about, about, as you said, Notre Dame, but we'll get to that in a second. But let's start with Ohio State, only playing six games on the season. And as you saw, head coaches, including Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, especially Dabo Sweeney, we're not too fond of the Buckeyes getting into the playoff. Dabo Sweeney released his own coach power rankings and had the Buckeyes at number 11 behind Coastal Carolina at 10. Your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm personally a big Coastal Carolina guy, but I think it, it kind of points at a bigger issue in, in the college football playoff right now. Do we want the best four teams or do we want the four teams who have performed the best that season? Because it's kind of, do you want to predict what the two best semifinals will be, or do you want to reward teams for a regular season? And I think the college football committee has just come out and the AP has come out and said, they're just going to try to make the best two semifinal games, which is uh, probably what we're going to get. I think they might not even be good games, but I think they're definitely going out of the way to try and get the viewer the most competitive semifinal games, as opposed to rewarding teams for, for earning their ways there. And then talking about Notre Dame in at the four spot, uh, Again, we won't really touch on Alabama and Clemson because they were locks and, you know, they were just bound to be there. But uh, a lot of discussion uh, in that four spot. A lot of people thought it should have been Texas A&M. Uh, the Aggies won their last seven straight games in the SEC. But ultimately, the committee chair stated that it came down to Notre Dame's second top uh, 15 ranked win against North Carolina in the season and their resume. They just had more games on the slate than the Aggies did, and that's ultimately what pushed them into that four spot. Uh, again, a lot of controversy, Texas A&M, Oklahoma creeped up there at the end, 
Florida had a shot and then blew it against LSU at home. Uh, that if, if the Gators win that game and they played the way they did in the SEC title game against Alabama, we'd be having a whole different discussion of, okay, now you throw Florida into the mix with Notre Dame and Texas A&M for that final spot. I will say, Notre Dame resume-wise, having played those 11 games and running the table except for the ACC title game with those two ranked wins, uh, first year joining a conference, I just think uh, this year it's tough to judge because of body of work. Uh, as we mentioned, the Bucs guys only six games played and you look at all the other teams that are in the playoff almost have double of what they played some of them almost have double double the wins that the Buckeyes do games played uh and Ohio State did not look good in that conference championship game against Northwestern Northwestern leading them at halftime and had them on the ropes um and I think this just big or brings an overall bigger discussion and as you mentioned Mitch uh do we want the four best teams or do we want you know, some fresh meat, some, some new teams in there. So it's not the same for every year. Yeah. I think every college football fan wants more football. I don't think anyone's going to be upset at an expansion. It's just about how do you expand six, eight, 64 teams or, <laughs> or, and what the problem you're trying to solve is. Uh, I'd be perfectly fine with a six or eight team expansion, but a six or a six team expansion Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, they're still not getting in this year. And so a, lo a lot of people's issues with undefeated teams who beat ranked teams not getting in just because they don't have the pedigree, it's not going to get solved by a six-team expansion. Coastal Carolina had more ranked wins than Notre Dame, or as many ranked wins as Notre Dame, I think. So obviously they, the rest of their schedule is much weaker, and they probably wouldn't have beat, the, uh, they probably wouldn't have beat Clemson even without Trevor Lawrence like, like Notre Dame did. But I think it's it's kind of an interesting dilemma. If we expand, are we still just going to have the same issue next year, the year after that? I, I think this is where I'll get into it. I think college football needs to expand, and I think it needs to be soon. Uh, they started these playoffs after the 2012-2013 national championship game, Notre Dame and Alabama. And ever since, you know, it's been, it's been the four teams. But I think eventually within the next five to ten years, we will see some kind of expansion because – People are calling for it, and it, it, it baffles me that they haven't done it already because what is the NCAA all about, Mitch? Money. Yeah. Money, money, money. That's, all, that's, that's what it comes down to in the end. And if you, I, if you expand the college football playoff, it's, it's more revenue. You're, you're getting more games. You're getting more viewers. Whereas if it's the same four teams every year, you're just going to get the same, those fan bases, everybody, people are going to get tired of it. Uh, I know people that are, that are tired of watching Alabama and Clemson in the national championship game every year. Uh, yep. Me, me included. Uh, even, even up until Clemson started winning, get, just getting tired of seeing Alabama uh, up there at the national stage. Cause you know, and college football is one of those sports where the dominant teams are going to win. It's proven in year in and year out, they get the best recruits and they win football games, and they have the best coaches, and it, it's just it, it, you can't compete. That's why you see even these teams, Ohio State is highly rated every single year, and they won it in 2014. But other than that, it's been all Alabama and Clemson with the exception of LSU last year, which was a nice different team to see in there with Coach O and the Tigers. But I think you have to at some point look at this and say, everybody's calling for it. It's going to make us more money. 
what you possibly do is there, there has been discussion of shortening the regular season and depending on how far you expand, um, then going into conference championship week and then going into the playoff, um, you could do, like you said, six teams, eight teams, even 16. Uh, I've seen scenarios with a bracket uh, set up like March Madness where if you would do a 16-team playoff, you just go by seeding, the top 16, and then the top seed, you, you do it bracket style, one place 16, but it would be a home game for the one seed. So the higher seeds get home games. So you'd still have that game in Tuscaloosa uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium for Alabama in the first round playing whoever the 16th ranked team would be. And then you just move on bracket style. And then I think you can go, okay, once you get to the final four, then you do your neutral site games and you go from there to kind of like we do right now. But I, I think at some point you just have to call for it because Alabama and Clemson are just going to keep running the tables. Dabo Sweeney is not going anywhere anytime soon. He's a young head coach who's energetic, passionate, is not afraid to voice his opinion. Clemson just built a brand new football facility. Those players want to go there. Players want to play for a coach like Dabo Sweeney. Nick Saban, a little bit older. I don't see him really leaving anytime soon in Alabama. So those two teams are just going to continue and continue to dominate the college football landscape. And at some point you just got to say, okay, and you look at other teams that get in there, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, you know, they just can't compete. These other schools can't compete with these top two. And the way that it's also set up this year, especially one seed Alabama, two seed Clemson. That's how it's been over the last X amount of years with the exception of last year in LSU. And what happens is when you have those two teams at the top, Alabama, say for this year at one, plays Notre Dame. They're going to play whoever the four seed is. They're going to win that football game. Clemson at the two seed, going to play whoever the three seed is. They're going to win that football game. So then who does that set up for the national championship game? Alabama and Clemson. It's just a never-ending uh, carousel ride. And I think at some point, college football and the NCAA just has to look at expanding this. I know football is a physically demanding sport, a lot more physically demanding than basketball. So I get that and player safety is the top priority, uh, and, and football really takes a wear and tear on you. But if you shorten the regular season, I think you can make up some ground for that. Uh, that's, that's, my, that's my take. That's my dish. I'll, I'll get your thoughts and, and your input on that too. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think we kind of touched on all, all of the beats there, the issues with the season length, the issues uh, with the lack of parity in college football. I, I think there's really no negatives to expanding the only potential negative is we expand and it doesn't solve the problem we still get Alabama Clemson every year but then what's the drawback okay we we get more games everyone wins the NCAA wins maybe the players don't win but I still think more often than not the players would rather play that extra game two more teams would rather be in the playoff and so I think it's it's really a win-win situation um, and I think the only thing and this is kind of a nice transition to our next topic the only thing helping college football parity right now is the NFL. If the NFL didn't exist, Joe Burrow wasn't going to the NFL. Trevor Lawrence wasn't going to about to go to the NFL. These teams would just dominate forever. Mm -hmm. you, you just get lucky that sometimes the best players get picked. And sometimes that five-star recruit who's supposed to step in and replace the star quarterback doesn't always pan out. And with this expansion or a possible expansion also, then you have those teams, depending on how many you go to, like the Coastal Carolinas, like the Cincinnati's, like the UCF's, that finally get their chance and say, okay, our body of work is there. It may not be the strength of schedule that you want, 
but we put together an undefeated season. We, we won our conference championship game. We beat two ranked opponents. Give us a shot. Maybe they get their shot. If you go to eight teams, you, I think you could do the, the power five champions and then the three at large. You know, uh, it's just, just different things. So really quick before we move on, I want to get your take, uh, your college football playoff prediction. I, I think somehow through all of that, our discussion of expansion, we kind of hinted at who we think this is going to be. I think uh, because of the issues we identified, it's going to be Alabama-Clemson. Uh, I don't frankly think either of those uh, semifinal games are going to be particularly close. I I'm very curious about the Trevor Lawrence versus, uh, versus Fields because that's kind of a fun little uh, NFL drafting site. But, yeah, I think it's going to be Clemson over Alabama in the finals in a fun game. I think that one's going to be fun. I think it's going to be high scoring. Uh, but I think the semifinals are going to be blowouts. I also think that Clemson and Alabama will end up in the national championship chip game uh also justin field side note has possibly a sprained wrist uh said he was getting x-rays on it after that big 10 championship game against northwestern i think it will be clemson alabama and i think all year i've been riding you know the coattails of alabama and you know Najee harris i personally think is just as good if not better than travis Etienne. i know that's a bold statement but the man the man is a, a, a great college football player, and Mac Jones really stepped up this year. And Alabama's doing this all without their top wideout, who got hurt in week one or two of the season in Jalen Waddell. So I think overall I've been swaying towards Alabama. But the more I look at it and the more I think of it, Trevor Lawrence is there, ETN's there, the experience is there, arguably one of the best quarterback running back duos this, this game has ever seen in college football. So I think Clemson over Alabama in a close national championship game, Dabo over Nick Saban. Uh, and I think that's how it's going to pan out. But as we discussed, moving on to the NFL, uh, a lot of news to get to as we enter the final two weeks of the season here, playoffs on the line, a lot of good potential playoff matchups uh, coming up in these next two weeks, division titles on the line, the number one draft pick on the line. Uh, so. I guess we'll start. We got a guest speaker coming up for you here who is a very passionate Jets fan, to say the least. Uh, and we're going to get his takes on the Jets win over the Rams. But uh, I'm going to get your first thoughts here, Mitch, on what you want to touch on as far as NFL news goes and what the most interesting thing that you see going into week 16 is. Yeah, I think kind of one of the most slept on things this year is the NFL playoff is expanded. Like we've kind of just, everyone has accepted it, which I think it means it was a good expansion. Everyone's, no one's throwing their arms in the air complaining about seven playoff teams and only one bye, uh, which I think means it was a good idea. But I think it also makes the races a lot of fun. Uh, I think you look in the AFC and there's a lot of potential movement there. Thanks to the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of blowing it down the stretch here. That division's just completely up for grabs. Uh, and then there could very easily almost likely will be three teams from the AFC North make the playoffs. Uh, the Ravens have a bit of a cake schedule. If they can execute down the stretch, they should hop in over Miami or over someone else. Uh, and I, I kind of, my biggest takeaway so far this season is that the seven-team expansion works, and I, I think it's fun. Uh, obviously, it sucks to only have one team get a bye, especially for those 13-win teams, 14-win teams who may not get a bye some years. But, yeah, I'm all in on the NFL expansion. But I think I want to get your take. I think you know where I'm getting on this. And what the hell's happening in Pittsburgh? 
Uh, it's an absolute dump. Take it away. It's a, it's an absolute. All right. <laughs> it is an absolute dumpster fire right now. Okay. Uh, three straight losses. A soliloquy you're going to read about the Pittsburgh Steelers here. <laughs> three straight losses. Two of them to teams with under 500 records. Be it Washington still leads the NFC East uh, with that six and eight record. Uh, it's it, there. There are just so many problems going on right now. I I can't even touch it. the The offense is a complete train wreck. Absolutely complete train wreck. Randy Fickner needs to go. Complete train wreck. His play calling is atrocious. You have a 38 year old quarterback who's going to be 39 in March, who just came off of elbow surgery, and you are throwing the ball with him 50 plus times a game. What do you think is going to happen? The Steelers, and the problem is, I understand why they're doing it because they have no run game. The offensive line is depleted. It's not the same offensive line it was three to four years ago. They have no running game. Benny, Benny Snell is not the answer. James Conner is surely not the answer. Anthony McFarland is not the answer. The wide receivers can't catch a pass. They can't get open at this point. The offense is just a complete and utter train wreck. Big Ben, in that game against the, in, against the Bengals on Monday night, was 20 of 38 which you say, okay, that's just a little over 50%. For 170 yards, he threw the ball 38 times and only had 170 yards. One touchdown, one interception, and he had the muff snap, which gave the Bengals the ball in Steeler territory early on in the game. Early turnovers killed them. And he had a few more passes, which could have been intercepted. Just for comparison, against the Bengals, the first go-around, 27 of 46. 333 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and they won the game 36 to 10. Now, I don't know how you just magically go from beating the Bengals by 26 points to end up losing to the Bengals in an embarrassment on Monday Night Football on the national stage with the AFC North on the line and the Cleveland Browns creeping up to possibly, possibly, steal the crown of the AFC North this year. We thought it was all a done deal. The Steelers went 11 and 0. Not a done deal for the Super Bowl, but a done deal for the AFC North. They were 11-0. The Ravens were falling off. The Browns were, you know, keeping up. They still had three losses. And now, if the Steelers lose, which is a very high possibility this Sunday against the Colts coming into town, and the Browns, well, they play the Jets. So that's pretty much a done deal. Although, with last week, we don't know. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. But – the, the AFC North title could literally come down to week 17 in Cleveland. And with the way that Pittsburgh is playing, they will not beat the Browns. They won't beat the Colts. As Ryan Clark stated it the best on ESPN the other night after the game, he said, who, okay, so this team is already a playoff team. They already clinched the playoff spot. He, the question was asked, who can they compete in the playoffs? And he goes, who, who is this team going to beat? They already lost to Buffalo. We all know they stand no chance at this point against the Chiefs. I don't, I don't know if anybody really stands a chance against the Chiefs at this point. They already lost to Buffalo. Baltimore's hot. Cleveland's hot. Indianapolis is hot. Miami looking good. Miami just beat New England and took Kansas City to the, down to the wire in the fourth quarter the other week. Who is this team going to beat in the AFC, in the playoffs? The AFC is clearly the stronger conference this year over the NFC. Who, who are they going to beat if they have this offense like that? The defense, completely fine. I, I understand the injuries. You know, Bud Dupree, Devin Bush, Vince Williams is on the COVID list. 
Joe Hayden's been hurt. I understand the end, but that defense has still stepped up. They played well against Buffalo. They played well against Cincinnati. It, they had turn Big Ben had turnovers and the offensive turnovers that gave the ball away. But that defense is fun. That defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense. But with this offense, this team is going absolutely nowhere in the playoffs, and they will be a wild card round exit if they keep playing like this. The only hope that I have is if they even compete in these next two weeks against two good playoff caliber teams in the Colts and the Browns. Because otherwise, it's just going to get ugly and be an embarrassment in the wild card round of the playoffs. Well, you heard it here first. Embarrassment in the wild card round of the playoffs for the Steelers, barring barring some big changes. Well, if if they win, I will be I will my hopes will skyrocket if they somehow win these next two games against Indianapolis and Cleveland. Because otherwise it it it's not pretty. It hasn't been pretty. I don't know what is going on. I, I don't know why the offense can't get their stuff together, especially against a Cincinnati Bengals defense. Uh, but I, I just don't, they, they have, they have a lot of issues and they need to fix them. Mike Tomlin's got to get his team together and ready to play. Uh, Juju's too busy dancing on the logos before the games worrying about TikToks. Uh, I actually saw a statistic today. Uh, he has more TikToks created than his than he does yards in his best receiving game all season. Yeah, I believe he has ninety eight. I believe he has ninety eight TikToks created, and his highest receiving game of the year was ninety five yards. Yeah, that's not the best look you want from your number one receiver. I'll just get two quick takes from you on this. One, Steelers draft Travis Etienne at the end of the first round. Yes, no. I'd be on board with it, or Najee Harris if he's still there. Uh, one of those running backs, James Conner is not the, I love James Conner. The man oh, runs cool. hard. His story, you know, he's a Western PA kid from Erie, went to Pitt. I get it. I love the story. He loves, he embodies everything that a Pittsburgh Steeler is. The man just can't stay healthy. He can't. Uh, and he's not the, he's a great, he would be a great number two back like he was behind Le'Veon. But as, as a number one, I, I'd be fine with ETN or Najee Harris. And two, are you comfortable with Ben Roethlisberger as your quarterback next year as things currently stand? Do you want them? Doesn't necessarily have to be a choir starter, but do you think they should bring in a quarterback in some capacity? Are we talking like a veteran quarterback that's like his age, or are we just talking Someone, about like, maybe the future, maybe a Marcus Mariota backup type? I think they certainly need it. I mean, if you look at the backup, it's Mason Rudolph. And we all saw that last season. Um, and Josh Dobbs is the third string. So I, at some point, the Steelers have to look at this. Like I said, Ben turns 39 in March. He's already told you he's, he's only going to play for another season or two. At some point, if you're Kevin Colbert, you have to think, okay, we need a quarterback now. I, it doesn't matter if, if Ben comes back next year or not, or the, or the season after. If you get a quarterback now, you, Aaron Rodgers sat under Brett Favre in Green Bay. And look at Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, it works. If you, if you get one of the, a quarterback now and sit him under Big Ben and let Ben mentor him for a year or so, then it'll be better than just saying, oh, well, we're going to go out and draft a quarterback, and here you go, sir. You're thrown into the fire, and that's that. So I, I think it would certainly help. It certainly can't hurt, especially with their backup situation. I think there's as bad as you and the rest of the Steelers fan base feel right now. I think there's one – fan base in the NFL who feels worse this week and I think we all know who that fan base is it happens to be the team that just won their first game of the season 
and uh, we are lucky to have on. Many Jets fans are passionate, but uh, uh, Matt Wasserstrom, who's going to be joining us here in a second, is one of the most passionate fan uh, Jets fans we know. He is borderline crazy at times. I think he'll I think he'll agree on that. But uh, we're going to welcome on Matt Wasserstrom to talk about how the Jets won, why the Jets won, and what's next for the lowly New York franchise. All right, now the moment you've all been waiting for, uh, we welcome in Matt Wasserstrom onto the show. Matt is a very passionate and avid Jets fan, uh, known to not be afraid to show his emotion uh, towards the team, and especially Adam Gase at times. Uh, so, Matt, first uh, first question I, I want to hear for actually just describe your emotions on Sunday in week 15 when the Jets beat the Rams and lost the number one overall pick, a.k.a. Trevor Lawrence? Uh, um, well, I can't – I actually can't even watch the games. It's just too stressful for me. So, um, you know, I had a stream up because for some reason the game's not broadcasted here, but um, Sunday was my dad's birthday, so – I go to pick up food for him, and I am just following the score on my phone. I put it on airplane mode for a little because I just – I couldn't. I couldn't. It was, uh, like, the end of the fourth quarter. Um, and I'm getting texts from Bills fans who, you know, want them to win. Um, and it's just torture. It was like the Raiders game and, like, the Patriots game where you thought they might – thought they might win. <laughs> And I get home and uh, I see Sam Darnold complete that pass to, I think it was Frank Gore on third and sixth. And that was the game. I threw my chair over uh, and then went up to eat. And it was just, uh, it's like getting punched in the gut and then you're not able to recover <laughs> before you get punched in the gut again. Um, I mean, they can't even tank properly. They can't tank. Did you tank expect them to do this here properly? Did you no, expect them to go? No, no, no. My dad is, you know, far smarter than I am. He knew this would happen. Um, the Patriots and the Raiders, it was just too close. They were, they were due. It's really hard to go 0-16. It's only happened twice before with this schedule. I mean, it's just really, really hard to do. And don't get me wrong, they're a horrible team, but it's the Jets. So if there's one team that's going to win a game, it's going to be them. But if you had told me out of um, – if we went back uh, two weeks ago to the Raiders, if you had told me Raiders, Seahawks, Browns, Patriots, like which game are you least worried about? The Rams and the Seahawks would have been the least worried. I was not worried about the Jets going on the road to the Rams, who are a playoff team or nine and four, good defense. I will never say anything good about Jared Goff or Sean McVay again. They're, they're just the worst, the worst people ever. If you had told me that, I would have just laughed in your face. I'm like, there's a 0% chance. And then, of course, the best part is Stan Kroenke, owns the Rams. He also owns Arsenal and doesn't care about Arsenal. So it was a double slap in the face. I get Arsenal in the relegation battle probably. And then Stan Kroenke's Rams beat the Jets. Um, you know, I've calmed down a little bit because it's the Jets. So they're always going to make me miserable. 
Um, it's just um, seeing Jets Twitter be happy. Last it, it torture, torture. Let's torture. Did you see uh, Darren changed his Twitter name to Jared Goff uh, fan hate account? No, but I'll have to. Um, I'll have to get on that. I I tend to. I think I replied to the team like we all hate you after they posted they won. When something like that happens, I need to, excuse me, not be near my phone because I'm a very, um, excuse me, very uh, instinctive person and I get angry quickly, uh, especially with the Jets. And I was just like, no, nope, nope, nope. Like when, when Jamal Adams, all that stuff was going on, I said, I sent some tweets that I, you know, was like, okay, let's, let's delete this. Um, still hate him. Horrible person. Worst person ever. So you've had some time to kind of breathe, to calm down, clearly, maybe not completely. So they're picking, let's say they pick at number two in 2021. What do you want them to do with that pick? Keep it, trade it? Who do you want them to pick? Um, you know, I've been watching um, the Michael K show, and they've been talking about it as well. And then seeing, like, Jets Twitter and stuff. Um, at the end of the day, it sucks, but, like, they ruined Sam Darnold. Uh, that's Adam Gase's fault. Adam Gase is not going to be there next year. I, I hope he is just doing nothing. I, I wouldn't wish him on my, I wouldn't wish him on the Bills or the Patriots. That's how much I hate him. Um, he's just the worst person ever. So he ruined Sam Darnold. Uh, Sam's a great person. Like, I don't know any fan who doesn't like him, but I mean, he's going to get traded. Um, and that's good for him. Hopefully he goes to like the Colts or the Steelers, Joe. And hopefully he can um, be some of something of what people thought he might be. So then it comes to what do you do with the second pick? If you're going to take a quarterback there, um, don't trade down. You, you're going to miss out on who you want. Um, I think they're going to go quarterback. Joe Douglas isn't, you know, that's not, Sam's not his guy. A new coach is going to come in, probably want someone that they can mold. Hopefully, Eric Bieniemy. So I think that they'll go Justin Fields. Although, you know, seeing Zach Wilson, it's kind of tickling my interest. Five touchdowns uh, last night. He, he, 270 total yards in, in the first quarter. Like, okay, it's UCF, whatever. He's, he's, tickling, he's tickling my interest. Um, I don't know. Don't I mean, has, what is uh, – what's sorry. that? Don't forget uh, Trey Lance. I, I don't trust – I do not trust that, that – no. Like, Carson Wentz, we see what he is now. <laughs> I, I don't trust it, especially with the Jets. Like, if, if I'm a fan of another team and they're interested in him, like with a good offensive coordinator and a history of developing quarterbacks, sure. <clears throat> not the Jets. So, Zach Wilson interests me, but – it's also like how many good quarterbacks has BYU ever produced? And it's really just um, Steve Young. So granted, that's you know, pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> pretty good one. But it's at the end of the day, it's do I think the player's good more than uh, my distrust of the Jets? I don't trust them with anything. So, you know, some people were saying, oh, maybe draft Penny Sewell and then keep Sam Darnold and bolster the offensive line. It's like, eh, I don't know. So trying to calm down and looking at other drafts, especially the past one where the um, Chargers got Herbert, 
who looks like the best of the bunch. Granted, Joe Burrow got, uh, well, murdered on the field. Um, I'm calming down. You know, I still have hope that the Jaguars could maybe win a game. Gardner Minshew is oh. playing for his, his career. <laughs> Gardner Minshew is playing for his career at, against the Bears at home. Bears are not that good. And then they beat the Colts week one. I don't think they can, you know, lightning doesn't strike the same place twice. But I have hope. But um, I know that if the Jaguars do win a game, the Jets will beat the Patriots week 17. So it, it won't even – it won't even matter. So, you know. Looking ahead to uh... – next season now uh depending on who they get let's just say you know they get fields at or or zach wilson at two um actually give us both scenarios so give us a scenario where they get where somehow the jags win a game and the jets end up getting lawrence with the oh. pick and okay. then also a scenario say that they still end up with two and get zach wilson or justin fields okay. how many wins do you see them stacking up in both scenarios uh, especially with you know, the Bills and Josh Allen really rising to the top of the AFC East and the fall of the Patriots as well as the Dolphins on the rise as well with Tua. Okay. Um, so I was a pessimist for this whole year for a while. So I thought the over-under win total would be like three and a half for the Jets. Um, so I think regardless of who they get, Unless, okay, that, that's saying that if, like, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson comes in and they're actually, like, a, a competent quarterback, I think whoever they get, um, I'm hopeful that it's, like, an Arizona Cardinals route where it's, like, they tried to rebuild with Josh Rosen, didn't work, imploded, Kyler Murray, two years later, possible wild card team. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But you need a very good head coach. Um, you know – I think there's pieces on this team, and I know I, I sound crazy. You're dodging around the number, Matt. We need a number. I know, I know. I'm trying to <laughs> – okay, honestly, I would have to say the same thing. I think over, under, three and a half. And I think I would probably take the over, but four. I would go with four games because – So regardless of who they get. Oh, yeah, regardless I of think, who they get. I think regardless of who they get because it's a young quarterback, like if they get someone else on the offensive, off, offensive line, they'll be able to help it. Um, you have some other pieces, but it's all about the coach. I, I would go with four, and I think that's safe. If they went out and won six, I think that'd be like a, a an amazing season. God, I hate my life. <laughs> Good note to end on. Yeah, I hate this team. <laughs> well, there you guys have it. That was Matt Wasserstrom, avid Jets fan, giving his thoughts on next season and the possible draft pick the Jets could have and the over under win total ending with in quotes I hate my life uh, yeah thank you for joining us today thank Matt. you I do just need to say though if there's a Jets fan out there who wanted them to win a game and didn't want to tank you have no brain cells there's just, I'm sorry it's a generational quarterback. As Rex Ryan said his last year in charge when people wanted them to tank for Mariota, he's like, well, if it was Peyton Manning, that's another story. This is our Peyton Manning. So people who wanted them to win, I just do not understand it at all. It's just like you got to suck up your pride. It's okay to be 0-16. It's okay to lose, as, as I've learned being a Jets fan. But, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go cry.
All right. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys later. Good luck. And thank you, Matt, for joining us here on the Sin Bin podcast. Uh, As we told you guys, very emotional character uh, and very passionate. Not afraid to speak his mind when it comes to his sports teams, especially the New York Jets, uh, given the recent uh, records and seasons. But moving on now to basketball. The NBA started up last night with two games. The Nets walloping the Warriors, absolutely walloping the Warriors in Katie and Kyrie's uh, return with the Nets playing together and the Clippers with a surprise win over the reigning NBA champion Lakers. Uh, first night of the NBA last night. Now we go into night two, uh, getting some NBA predictions for this season. Uh, Mitch and I will each have a sleeper team who we think could possibly rise, and we will have a team that we think might fall off and might not meet up to expectations. So I'm going to let Mitch, get to it first. Uh, Mitch, first of all, who is your sleeper team? As much as I'd like to take the reigning, reigning champion, Toronto Raptors, uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go maybe surprise you a little bit. I don't know if anyone knows this. Joe, big Duke fan, big Notre Dame fan. Low-key, under-the-radar, Washington Wizards fan. And I think this year, big year for the Washington Wizards. I love what they did in this year's draft. And honestly – as much as I was a John Wall guy a couple of years ago, and I'm sure Joe was as well, I think Russell Westbrook is exactly what this team needs. Bradley Beal's good, but he's going to be great when he plays alongside like a pure alpha player like Westbrook. And then you kind of bring in Hachimura, Avdia, those role players who are young, explosive, are not going to tire out. I think they should make the playoffs in the, in the East. I think they're probably going to be the eight seed because I think the East is pretty strong one through seven. Uh, but I think even making the eight seed is going to be a gigantic accomplishment for a Washington franchise that really hasn't done a whole lot for the past couple of years. As you mentioned, they haven't made the playoffs since the 2017-18 season. So this would be a step in the right direction. And now to the team that you think might fall off and might not meet expectations. Yeah, I think this one's going to surprise people, maybe as surprising as picking the Wizards to do well. But I think my kind of, uh, maybe I won't call them a fall-off team, but a team that's not going to take the step forward that I think everyone thinks or wants them to is the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I think Luka Doncic, arguably one of the best players in the league, not unarguably one of the best players in the league. And Porzingis, when he is healthy, is a perfect complement. But I think that that asterisk on when Porzingis is healthy is huge. He's going to be hurt to start the year, and he hasn't really proven he can stay healthy for an entire season. And I think one of the most underrated aspects is, A, the West is still very strong. I see tops. The Mavs are a 6-7 seed when I think people think they should be maybe fighting for home advantage. Uh, and I think the loss of Seth Curry, who they traded for Josh Richardson, were kind of similar players on, on face value, is going to really hurt the team. I think Seth was huge for the team's spacing and huge for getting uh, Porzingis and Doncic the ball and for good looks. And so I think people are going to be able to kind of collapse on them and maybe not watch Richardson as much as they did Seth Curry in the corner. Certainly exciting to watch Luka Doncic, one of the rising stars in the NBA. A lot of high hopes for him. Uh, could have had Matt on uh, to talk about Luka Doncic. He's a big, big, big Cleaver fan. Big Luka Doncic guy. Uh, yeah. As far as my sleeper goes, I think I am going to end up taking the Phoenix Suns. Uh, finished 10th in the West last year, but I think 
as you as we all saw in the playoff bubble, made a huge run. Devin Booker carried the entire team on his back, and it looked like the man was averaging 50 a game. Uh, I think they just have a lot of nice pieces. They got Chris Paul. Uh, they have Cameron Johnson there. They have Devin Booker. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton's a big piece. So I, I think the Suns are in good position to slide into one of those last spots in the West, as you mentioned, with the Wizards at the eight seed. I think, you know, you could see them in at the seven or eight seed. Obviously, the West, I think the NBA overall is getting more balanced and getting better uh, than it was, you know, three to four years ago with the Warriors just dominating everybody in the West and the Rockets were the only team that had a prayer. Uh, but I think the Suns can surprise some people uh, in the West. Uh, it's going to be very competitive. Denver's going to be up there. Utah's going to be up there. Obviously, both Los Angeles teams are, are at the top. Uh, Dallas, I, I think, still will probably get in, even though, you know, you said that you don't think so. Portland with Damian Lillard, obviously always a threat. So I think the West is pretty strong. But I think, I think this could be the year that Phoenix slides in and Devin Booker finally gets his chance on the playoff stage to, to make an impact. Uh, and as far as a team that I think it could fall off and not meet expectations, uh, I'd have to go with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, it, it's no surprise that team does not function without Steph Curry or Klay Thompson. And although they get Steph Curry back this year, Klay Thompson out for the season with yet another injury. So I, I and they got walloped last night. Granted, by, it was by Kevin Durant and Kyrie and company in the Brooklyn Nets. But I just don't think the Warriors can keep up in this Western Conference, even with Steph Curry. I think the reign is over in Golden State. They had their good dynasty years, but I think the time's winding down. Uh, Steph can't do it all by himself. Uh, he, needs, he needs a Robin to his Batman, and that man was Klay Thompson. Uh, Draymond Green is not the same player that he used to be. I, I just don't think the Warriors have it in him anymore, and, and I don't see them making the playoffs in the Western Conference. So... That, that is my team that I think will not meet expectations uh, while Steph Curry is a fabulous player and one of the best point guards in the NBA and one of the best shooters we've ever seen. Probably will go down as the greatest shooter uh, once his career is done. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't think the Warriors make it. Um, do you see – It looked like a high school team when, he, when yeah. Steph was on the court last night. They were running around. They had no – like Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, maybe we're giving them a little too much credit because of, of those great teams because they haven't had success recently. But Andrew Wiggins stunk last night, four for 16. And when Steph isn't on the court, Kelly Oubre Jr. and Andrew Wiggins aren't creating anything by themselves. And so that team just absolutely sucks. And uh, now I want to get your thoughts on something else, Mitch, uh, before we uh, close up here. Um, a little bit of NHL uh, to swing into uh, your quick thoughts on the formation of the divisions uh, this year and the realignment of the league. The NHL just announced that they are going with four divisions due to COVID-19. They're going to they're going to keep it uh, geographical with the East Division, the Central, the West, and the North. Uh, the North being all the Canadian teams. Uh, that'll be some kind of travel uh, from Vancouver to Montreal, but. Uh, what are your thoughts on that uh, realignment? I, it could be a lot more competitive uh, with some teams now that you see getting into the same division as others. Yeah, I am number one supporter of the Canadian division and actually <laughs> being Canadian, but I think it's going to be so much fun. These are teams that have fan base rivalries that are, were manufactured without these teams really even playing each other very often. Uh, and now they're going to play each other like double digit times a year. That's it's just going to be so much fun. 
Uh, I can't wait for the eighth game between Calgary and Edmonton when Milan Lucic is just teeing off on every <laughs> single player on the Oilers. Uh, I think it's so much fun. I think there is a chance that this year in the NHL, if done right, is so much fun division-wise and schedule-wise that Gary Bettman and the team take a long look at, like, why can't we just always do this? You you look at the, the divisional matchups here, and as you mentioned, teams playing each other, seven – eight teams in a division, seven, so seven other teams, and there's a 56-game season. So you're, you're playing these teams eight times. Edmonton and Calgary playing each other eight times. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia playing each other eight times. I, I, it's, it could get very ugly. Uh, usually these teams – Almost in, certainly will get very ugly. <laughs> in divisional play, play each other like four times a year. But double that – and and you you only see a dose of seven other teams now because of the realignment and you don't you don't play your out of division or out of conference games uh the east coast teams don't have their west coast trips their long west coast trips and the west coast teams don't have their long east coast trips uh so obviously it makes sense rest wise and travel wise but and a shortened season but i think these interdivision rivalries now that that come to life uh I, i just looking at the east division you throw boston in there with both New York teams, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Washington, that division right there alone, just the teams that I named off, it's insane, complete insanity. Uh, it, I guess you could say, oh, well, you basically added Boston to the Metropolitan Division. But when you look at it that way, the Metropolitan Division is arguably the most competitive division uh, in the league, and adding the top-tier team in the league uh, last season to it only can create more chaos. Uh, I guess we'll go with, since the announcement, we, we'll, we'll wait until a later episode to get your uh, preseason predictions as far I gotta, as... I got to crunch the numbers. As, as far, yeah, you got to crunch the numbers. I have the Leafs winning more than every other game. <laughs> uh, seeing the, uh, the uh, NHL tweet out, or NHL and NBC tweet out uh, what's hockey's greatest rivalry, and some of the comments were Leafs versus Leafs fans. Uh, another good one was the uh, Sabres versus making the playoffs. Um, so a lot of good stuff there. Uh, well, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, going to get your final comment here, Mitch. Do you have anything, uh, anything sports related at all that you want to touch on uh, as a closing statement here, ending the show? Yeah, I'm going to take 15 seconds as a public service announcement of why you should realize OJ Ananobi is one of the best players in the NBA. He, last year as a defender in his third season in the NBA, uh, fourth season in the NBA, I'm sorry, had, was tied in defensive efficiency with Rudy Gobert. Best consensus, best defender in the league, OG Ananobi. And they, the Raptors just extended him as a restricted free agent for less than Jonathan Isaac, for slightly more than some Markel Fultz. Uh, I think OG Ananobi is, we saw Pascal Siakam a couple of years ago take a big leap for the Raptors. I think this year is OG's year. Thank you for listening. I'm also going to stick with the NBA here. 7 o'clock tonight, Wells Fargo Center, Wizards and 76ers. Wizards get their first win of the season, and it feels like first win in a long, long time. Uh, As you mentioned, since I didn't really touch on it, Russell Westbrook, a lot of people saying it's a bad move. I love John Wall when he played in Washington. The man really barely played at all over the last few seasons. Bradley Beal. His back has to hurt. He would, he, I think he averaged 27 a game last season, but it seemed like more. It seemed like every other stat that 
or every other uh, update that I'd get, it'd say Bradley Beal 37 points or something like that. His back, finally, he can get some rest here. I think they have a good young team, like you mentioned. I think they added some additional pieces. Cassius Winston, they added in the draft this past year, could be a good backup point guard to Russ when he needs a break. Wizards get it done tonight against the 76ers to start off the season 1-0. It's been a first or a good first episode here on the Sinbin Podcast. As always, I'm Joe Trentley from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's Mitch Bannon from Toronto, Ontario. And we will catch you guys next time on the Sinbin. <laughs>